Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That is me. I welcome you to this week's episode and thank you for coming back for more. If you're a returning listener, if you're a first-time listener, then welcome to the show. I'm always curious to find out how you learned about the show and what encouraged you to give this week's episode a try. So you can let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. I always take emails as well. Guy at thepipelineshow.com. But as always, we start with the question of the week. This week, I wanted to know which junior or college team you hate the most and why. A number of responses already. A 17 Curry, who I would assume is an Edmonton Oil King fan, says it's the uh, Portland Winterhawks, uh, just because of the rivalries between the two teams uh, over recent years. Of course, they met three years in a row in the WHL final. Uh, Pizza Soccer says it's the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Edmonton Oil Kings, as well as the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, He is a Portland Winterhawk fan, so you get the reverse there. Uh, Dale says it's the Fort McMurray Oil Barons, just because it's the Fort. And going up there, he knows it's going to be at minus 50. Jesse says, I'm a Seattle fan, so I'll let you guess. Uh, Paul from uh, Dub Network says he used to hate Kelowna, but now he just hates college hockey. Uh, Adam says it's the University of Minnesota because he's from North Dakota. And that hatred is in his blood. Another listener says he can't decide if it's uh, Seattle, Tri-City, or Spokane. You can obviously tell he's a fan of, uh, well, I guess it would be uh, Portland or perhaps Everett. Jay Steff says it's Portland for cheating the system. Simon Pope says he hates the Everett Silvertips. Taco Tavares, this is a good one, he says, I used to hate the Belleville Bulls with a passion, now they're non-existent. So uh, Taco might be solely responsible for the... uh, Elimination of the Belleville Bulls. Tanya says, uh, just simply, hashtag Portland sucks. She is a Seattle Thunderbirds fan. Uh, Patrick says, it's the University of Minnesota Golden Chokers. That would be the Gophers. Lucas says, he doesn't like the uh, Sudbury Wolves. Of course, he is a uh, well-known Sioux Greyhounds fan. Another response says, uh, Kelowna, due to exhibited favoritism from the league for Bruce Hamilton says, as a Portland fan, it should be Seattle. And here's some shade, but they are almost never relevant as a contender. Of course, Seattle uh, WHL champions a couple of years ago. He says they are more often than not basement dwellers, or at least close. Most of us down here in Portland like that rivalry and hope to see it repeat in the final this year. That would be in reference to uh, Portland and the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, so lots of thoughts there. You can get in, uh, involved in the conversation as well uh, on Twitter at TPS 
underscore Guy. Let's get to the CHL news. We'll start with the uh, top 10 uh, coming out into this weekend's action. The Ottawa 67s still holding down the number one spot, followed by Sherbrooke. The Portland Winterhawks are three. Then you've got Shakutami, the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Moncton Wildcats, the Everett Silvertips. London jumps up to number eight. Cape Breton moves up to number nine, and the Kamloops Blazers drop, but they're still in the top ten uh, in that final spot. Honorable mentions going to Kitchener, Lethbridge, and Ramuski. Top scorers in the queue, Alexi Lafreniere continues to lead the league. He has 84 points, uh, followed by his teammate Cedric Pares with 75. Igor Sokolov of the uh, Cape Breton Eagles has 73. Maverick Bork not far behind with 70, and Alexander Hovanov from the Moncton Wildcats has 68. Uh, Samuel Lavich uh, still has the best goals against average in the queue at 226. Colton Ellis, though, right behind with a 228. And Kevin, Kevin Mandelis uh, from Cape Breton with a 239. Then you have Olivier Rodrigue and Thomas Sigouin uh, also in the mix. Uh, Mandelis uh, from Cape Breton has the best save percentage, though, at 920. Halavich right behind, though, with a 919. Then you've got Colton Ellis there with a respectable 914 save percentage. Let's uh, go over to the Ontario Hockey League and uh, the statistical leaders there. Still Marco Rossi from Ottawa with 88 points. Cole Perfetti is second uh, from the Saginaw Spirit. He has 85. Uh, Phil Tomasino, now with Oshawa, uh, has 84 points. Connor McMichael right behind with 83. So pretty tight uh, scoring race in the OHL. Uh, Pavel Gogolev has 76. Cedric Andre has uh, passed Nico Dawes now in terms of the goals against average. He is number one with a 2.42. Dawes is next at 2.45. Uh, Brett Brochu from the London Knights is at 2.5. Uh, Jacob Ingham at 2.79. Hunter Jones is 2.87. Uh, that's goals against average in the OHL. Uh, save percentage-wise, though, Nico Dawes still number one with a 9.25, and Ingham is next at 9.22. Uh, checking in on the WHL scoring race, and Adam Beckman, the only player with more than 80 points. He has 82. Jimmy Hamlin right behind with 77. Zane Franklin has 74. Uh, Seth Jarvis, 67. And Oren Santazo of the Camelos Blazers has 66 points. Dustin Wolf leading uh, both the goals against and save percentage categories. Uh, he has a 198 goals against average. Sebastian Kosa of the Edmonton Oil Kings is next at 209. Then you've got David Tendak of the Vancouver Giants and Shane Farkas in the number four spot. Dylan Granda of the Camelos Blazers is fifth. With save percentage, it's Dustin Wolf with a terrific 936. Shane Farkas is next at 929. Sebastian Kosa at 925. Tendak and Grand are rounding out the top five. The next natural step for a lot of uh, junior players is U Sports. So we'll go to U Sports in the standings out east in uh, the Atlantic Conference. UNB, the Varsity Reds, have won 12 in a row, and they stand alone atop their conference. A 10-point lead over Acadia right now, going into the final weekend of the regular season. So some playoff seating here on the line this weekend. Uh, Acadia is second, followed by St. Mary's and Moncton. St. FX, UPI, and Dalhousie uh, round out the standings there. In Canada West, Alberta and Saskatchewan are tied atop the standings going into this weekend with 42 points. Mount Royal is third, uh, and then the uh, University of Calgary Dinos. Then a big drop-off. you got four teams that are leading the way and four who are at the bottom, Manitoba, UBC, Regina, and Lethbridge. 
And this weekend, the final weekend of the regular season, the four top teams are all playing the four weak teams. So you're almost expecting four sweeps this weekend. But if there's any upsets, boy, that could really impact the playoff uh, picture in Canada West. In Ontario, in the East Division, Carlton has led the way pretty much since the uh, opening weekend. They are still on top. UQTR is uh, next, followed by McGill in Ottawa. And you've got Concordia, Ontario Tech, and uh, Queens, and then a drop down to RMC, Nipissing, and Laurentian uh, with only 12 points. And then in the West, you have uh, Toronto with a three-point edge on Ryerson, Guelph, Windsor, Brock, Laurier, and then down to Lakehead and Thunder Bay. Uh, Western, Waterloo, and York. South of the border, the NCAA uh, top 20 poll for USCHO has North Dakota almost a unanimous number one. Only one vote for Minnesota State uh, preventing North Dakota from uh, being the unanimous pick. And you can you can make a pretty good argument for Minnesota State. They have a record of 24-4-2. North Dakota is 21-3-3. But I think the people who are voting for North Dakota, their argument would be, well, they played a much tougher conference than Minnesota State. And I think you... Uh, those people would make a, a pretty good point with that. Cornell, though, right now is uh, ranked number two between those two clubs. They are 15-2-4 on the season. Number four is Boston College. Then it's Clarkson, Minnesota Duluth. At Denver, Massachusetts, Penn State, Providence comes in at number 10. Arizona State, all the way up to number 11 right now. At Northeastern, Ohio State, UMass Lowell, Northern Michigan, Quinnipiac, Harvard, Bemidji State, Michigan State, and Sacred Heart coming in, ranked 20th. All guests of the Pipeline Show join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, and I'll tell you what I'm going to be enjoying at the end of uh, today's broadcast is going to be the Bucktooth Belgian White. I've been saving it. They say it's the most refreshing thing you've had all day, light and citrusy. It's a crushable beer, perfect for the patio. Well, I hope it's perfect for my uh, studio as well. Uh, I'll be enjoying that at the end of uh, today's uh, show. If you're in Red Deer, I recommend you stop by the tap room because while you go to your liquor store and you can pick up a number of uh, different varieties of your favorite Troubled Monk brews, they have a lot more on tap that uh, you can't get in liquor stores. Things like the High Seas American Stout and the Loch Ness Dry Stout, the Mary Samsonite Barrel-Aged Cherry Sour, that's a great name, the Mozart Vienna Lager, the Snowbird Farmhouse Ale. So there's lots uh, that I would like to try. i got to get down to uh, Red Deer. And uh, get to the uh, the tap room. You can also book a tour if you uh, contact them in advance. Uh, but location for the tap room: 5551 45th Street in Red Deer. Uh, let them know that the Pipeline Show sent you, or you heard about it on the Pipeline Show. And next time you go to your liquor store and you are looking for Troubled Monk, if they don't have it, find out why and uh, demand that they get it in, uh, because I highly recommend it. You're really going to enjoy it. I've had several uh, varieties already. The Rebels Red is uh, one of my favorites, uh, but the Daycation might be uh, top of the list for me right now. Uh, some other uh, replies that have just come into the uh, inbox. Uh, Jordan says the Brian and Weekings are the team he hates. Why? When they played my Raiders, they always got away with a lot of stuff while Kelly McCrimmon was coaching. He would get a lot of hate when his team came to the uh, Art Hauser Center up in PA. Uh, Silver Fox says it's the London Knights because he is a Sioux Greyhounds fan. Goots says Saskatoon Blades, because they were the closest WHL team for me to go watch Brandon Weeking's games, so I uh, got to see them more than any other team. You can keep those responses coming in 
at TPS underscore Gee on Twitter. All right, let's get to the guest list this week. And uh, earlier this week, last week I was saying I wanted to get a, a, a variety of uh, females in uh, sports media uh, on the show uh, because I thought there was some sort of uh, month-long dedication. Uh, what I was thinking of is actually only one day. It's the National Girls and Women in Sports Day. It happened to be earlier this week. It was on a Tuesday, I believe, maybe Wednesday. Uh, but I thought it was a month-long thing. So I'm going to do it all month, and it won't be the national one because I think that's in the States, and obviously I'm up here in Canada. So I'm just going to call it the uh, month-long celebration of women covering junior and college hockey day. How about that? And two of my guests that you're going to hear from today, well, one is a uh, longtime uh, contributor here on the Pipeline Show. She's uh, always a great guest when she's on. Her name is Julie Robenheimer, writes for EP Ringside. She also does a lot of stuff covering the NHL. But Julie Robenheimer has been a guest here on the Pipeline Show for many, many years and always does a great job. You're really going to enjoy that conversation. A newcomer to the show, Caitlin Berry, is going to be my OHL insider this week. And what's interesting about that is she's based in England and covering the Ontario Hockey League. Does a great job of it, though. And we'll get into how she does it, why she does it, and a great story there. She actually was able to come over and watch the top prospect game as credentialed media, uh, which is really interesting. So we'll talk to her about that experience. Uh, and we'll close out the show today with a 2020 draft spotlight. Here's a guy that is uh, highly touted coming into this season. Hasn't played a whole lot, though, because of a uh, well, serious ailment, which we'll let him tell you about. But he's got an update on uh, his possible return. Justin Barron, defenseman with the Halifax Mooseheads. You're going to learn more and uh, hear from him today. Uh, so three really great guests coming up. But we're going to kick it off with Julie Robenheimer. That'll be the NCAA campus report. We'll do that first here on the Pipeline Show. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year. Here he goes. Wide around the corner. Newhook shoots, scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh my. This is the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, and we are going to kick this week's episode off with an NCAA campus report brought to you, of course, by our friends at, at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have a player in your family and they're exploring all their options and they need to know what they need to do or not do to maintain their NCAA eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great resource and they can answer your questions. So get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell and they can steer you in the right direction for sure. My guest today, uh, an old favorite of ours here on the Pipeline Show, Julie Robenheimer. And I say that as in you've been a guest for a long time, not that, that you're old. 
when I say an old favorite of ours. Uh, Julie, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, that was clunky. Uh, I appreciate you making the time uh, to come back on the show again. Uh, and exciting times. Uh, the Beanpot, last night, as you and I are speaking right now, it's uh, it's Tuesday, the day after the uh, semifinal games in the Beanpot, and some pretty exciting games to, to boot. The games, as always, uh, were spectacular. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where when the um, the game matchups come out for the uh, semifinals, you don't know to, whether you're excited or sad to have a BCBU matchup in the bean pot because you want it to be like for a championship game, or at least historically that's what you wanted mm-hmm. um, because they were always the two most competitive teams. But I love having it in the semifinals because you at least get it. You know, it, having to gamble on it being the championship is always, you know, dicey. That's why it's a gamble. Um, so I love having it in the semifinals and uh, last night's game was classic. I wish it was for the championship and then it would definitely be a classic, but it was an amazing third period comeback, uh, by Boston University scoring three, uh, unanswered goals. And then BC tied it up again with less than a minute left in regulation. Um, and then BU winning it in like the weirdest double overtime yeah. ever, um, because they had to have the five minutes to make it like a regulation game. But for the purposes of this event, they went ahead and did another 20, 20 minute, um, overtime period. So it's technically double overtime, but it wasn't. <laughs> so, um, it was just, it was a great game. It was a great game, great goals. Everything is fabulous. The early game was a little bit different. I had a huge conversation. I actually had a chat, um, going on my Instagram. I don't know if you've ever used that. Well, I don't know if you've ever used that feature on Instagram, but I just said, Hey, anybody want, want to watch the game with me? Um, so we kind of chatted all together and there were so many, um, reviews on goals, including the potential game winner. Um, and they were such ticky tacky, you know, like I, I, and somebody said, we should have a timer. And if you can't figure it out within this many minutes, then it's inconclusive because it should be cut and dry. It was offside or it wasn't. You shouldn't have to slow it down frame by frame, 50 different angles. Yeah. You know, it should just be cut and dry. And if it's not cut and dry, then the call on the ice stands, whatever that is. So, um, I don't know. It just sponsored a really big uh, discussion and might even have inspired a blog post. Oh, well, look at that. All right. Well, we'll look for that. Um, speaking of uh, how they set up the uh, the matchups, how how is it determined who plays who each year? <laughs> Uh, it's actually done by how they finished the year before. In in just in the bean pot itself? No, um, I don't believe it's in the in the bean pot. I think it is based on your pairwise rankings from the year before. Oh, okay. I, I'd have to I'd have to double check that. But the whole point of it is that they want to um, have parity, so they don't necessarily take into two take into account two games that you've played. Um, although uh, that would no actually the reason they have the consolation game is because you have to be guaranteed two two games to participate because hmm. these are non-conference games even though three of the four teams are all part of hockey east they are non-conference games so that's why like a lot of people don't quite understand the significance of the bean pot but the fact that these teams are potentially giving up the opportunity to play another game against North Dakota Duluth Michigan, you know, other big non-conference opponents, they are choosing to use those non-conference games against 
in-conference opponents, but they rank in terms of the pairwise as non-conference opponents. Why is that? that why is that significant? Maybe just dumb it down for a, a guy who's not a pair, <laughs> pairwise literate like you are. Well, for uh, leagues that are larger, like Hockey East, um, you know, uh, they don't have as many games to uh, play non-conference okay. opponents. So they maybe only get six non-conference games a, a year, a season. Right. And so if two of them are taken by playing Northeastern and BC, as is the case with Boston University this year, then that's two less games that they don't get to play against Clarkson or Yale or um, another non-conference opponent. Right. If that makes sense. So in the pairwise, you're basically beating up against the same people you're already beating up against. Hopefully, I mean, if you're playing well, you know, um, so it's uh, um, it I, I wouldn't say it like adversely affects. It's just the same people. So so comparison wise, there's two less teams or at least one less team that you can't compare yourself to. Right. Okay. Uh, now, with the four teams that were in it, they're the same four every year. Was there a surprise in the outcome of any of them? I mean, just based on their, their records right now, BC and Northeastern have the better records, but it's Northeastern and BU moving on. Is that a, a, a shocker in any way? Or when you get these four teams together, do you basically just pull two out of a hat? Um, at this point in the evolution of this tournament, you just put names in a hat and pull them out. <laughs> so, like, it's not necessarily a surprise. Right. Um, I definitely thought that um, BC had a, a better advantage going into the game. But I will say this. Uh, there's a reason that they call this trophy season. And for the Boston area schools, it starts with a bean pot. And for um, both BC and BU – is um, the past three years have been won by Harvard, Northeastern, and Northeastern. So nobody on either of those two teams has won a bean pot. Mm. So it, it's there's a lot that goes into it, and especially because a lot of those guys are are local guys. They're Massachusetts guys. They grew up watching the bean pot. They grew up, you know, rooting for whatever team in the bean pot. So there's like a deep personal connection for many of these players in in this tournament. And for many of them, it's the first opportunity that they've had to play at an NHL rink. So that's like another layer of it. Um, you know, outside of the guys who've, you know, played for Team USA, this is a lot, probably the largest crowd they've uh, ever played for as well. So there's a lot that goes into it from a mental perspective and uh, pressure and motivation and kind of channeling all of that. Um, but then the other thing is um, with it being trophy season, a lot of teams who have kind of maybe been mediocre in the first half of the season, they really step on the gas because at this point there's eight games, eight, nine games maybe before the end of the regular season. Hmm. So there is very little time to get stuff done especially for uh, teams like Boston University who are on the outside looking in uh, in terms of the pairwise rankings and the national tournament. So they really could have benefited from a, an actual win. The, the record will show that this, that last night's game was a tie. Right. Um, and that has them at 23rd in the pairwise, whereas a win over BC would have put them at 20. So 
you know, there's a lot that, you know, goes into these moving parts. But BU is really starting to, you know, figure themselves out and how they can all be uh, better defensively as a group. And then I also think that um, getting in that transfer goalie um, from Merrimack, whose name I presently forget, I can't believe I can't, I forget it, but I'm sure you can look it up. But um, having him come in was really helpful in terms of uh, just giving them some stability back there. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who that is. Is that Sam Tucker? No. Well, they got Vinny Papura and Ashton Abel. That's it. Abel. Abel. Okay. Well, he's only played six games. Yes, what? because he's a transfer. Like, uh, so he couldn't, he couldn't, he didn't, he only started around like Christmas, second half, second okay. semester. Very good then. Uh, Julie Robenheimer is my guest, educating me on the bean putt this year and everything around it <laughs> and writing a, a series of stuff you can find at eprinkside.com. Uh, and uh, one of them that's fresh out of the hopper, still warm, is uh, a nice feature you have with uh, Trevor Zegris, who I've become a big fan of. I, I, he, he made me look smart because I predicted he'd be the uh, top player for the U.S., the top forward at the at the World Junior, and he was fantastic in that tournament. So, I love when players do that. Yeah, I don't get to toot my horn very often, but I'm going to do it with that one. <laughs> um, but uh, this he's such a he's a fantastic player, isn't he? He's a fantastic player and is an even better person. I uh, have loved uh, watching him grow and develop, um, you know, starting with the U.S. National Team Development Program and um, and then now with uh, BU. And I feel like Team USA was a big opportunity for him to grow, not necessarily as a player, but more like in the mental space. Um, if you read the feature, you'll read a little bit more about it, but he basically said that being in the bottom six at Team USA or for Team USA at the World Junior Championship was probably the best thing that ever happened to him because it forced him to um, realize that no matter where you are in the lineup, you continue to play your game. And that's what he did, and he earned more minutes throughout the process, uh, led Team USA in points, led the tournament in assists, was named one of Team USA's uh, top three players, just had a tremendous, tremendous tournament, even though many players would have just kind of like packed it in and said, okay, mm-hmm. I know my role. I'm a fourth line player. And he's like, nope, I'm going to show you what I can do. And I'm going to earn more minutes. And that's what he did. Now you're going to have uh, other features coming out this week uh, for the bean pot. You also had one fairly recently with uh, Jake Sanderson, one of the uh, top defensemen available in the 2020 draft. And um, he's a he's a really interesting guy moving forward. Uh, maybe tell me a little bit about what you learned from him in that feature, and uh, and who else you're going to be chatting with uh, for from the Beanpot this week. Uh, people can read that at EP Ringside. All right, well we'll do the Beanpot first. Um, I know I'm going to have a feature on defenseman Jordan Harris, who also was a member of Team USA at this year's World Junior Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, he has really uh, surprised a lot of people on Northeastern's blue line. And um, and then the other one is another defenseman, is David Ferentz, who has just been playing outrageously well. Um, I think he's in. He may even be in the top ten in scoring in the country. Um, he's just really been playing so so well. And um, what I love about both of them is that they're unexpected. Like most people weren't talking about these guys last year. So you can look forward to those on EP Ringside. Now to talk about Jake. What I love about him is he is a student of the game. And some people kind of expect that in some regards of being the son of an NHL player, especially one that played 17 years in the league. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a different position. So his father was a forward, his father, Jeff Sanderson, um, 
like I said, played 17 uh, seasons, over 1,100 games, 700 points, um, you know, really made his mark on the offensive side of the game. And then here's Jake, a defenseman, <laughs> who has offensive upside and offensive capabilities that he's looking to expand, but that's not his game. So it's very hard to, um, you know, say like, oh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. With one exception, his skating is unbelievable. Um, but anyways, to get back to the point of Jake being a student of the game, he loves to observe other players and see if it's something if, if, that whatever they do that makes them special, if it's something he can implement in his game. Because he's always looking for things that are going to help him not only be better, but differentiate himself. Like, how will this make me a different player than somebody with the same, you know, skills or the same size or the same, you know, strength in skating? Like, how can I be different so that a team will want me as opposed to just, you know, a smooth skating defenseman who has the capability of scoring. So he's just very um, interesting in that regard. Like I, I sat down with him in November um, when I was in Sweden for uh, one of the U18 um, international tournaments. And after the interview was over, I talked about it. I actually posted a podcast because I talked to him for 20 minutes and I couldn't fit nearly as much as I wanted to into the feature. So I actually made a podcast out of the uh, excerpts from the interview, mm. which you can check that out on uh, juliegrobenheimer.com. Uh, and um, it's called Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. So if you want to look that up too, you can do that. All right, well. um, but we talked about uh, Moritz Sider because he knew that I really was banging the drum on Moritz Sider being in the top 10. Um, at the draft after seeing him at the men's world championship. And he very astutely asked me, well, what did you see in him that made you think that? Hmm. And I thought that that was such an intelligent question for a 17 year old kid to ask, Yeah, you know, like, like what was it about him that made him so special that you thought that about him? And I could see that he wanted to know what it was so that he could see if it was something that he could do or could do better or could apply to his game. So I love players who really um, analyze where they are and what they have the potential to become. And Jake is one of those guys. Awesome. That's great. I'm looking forward to having a chance to have him on the show as well. Um, Julie Robenheimer, my guest from uh, EP Ringside, as well as what was the podcast called? Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. Uh, that's great. That's a great title. Uh, and, and Not Your Normal Hockey uh, uh, Reporter, Journalist either, Julie. I wanted, I chatted with you a bit yesterday. wanted to talk to you about your experiences as a, a female hockey reporter because I see online so many uh, late, uh, fellow uh, lady journalists. Fellow lady journalists? I'm not a lady. But other lady <laughs> journalists uh, getting so much flack and just the, the abuse from, from people out there. I'm almost horrified at the behavior of of, of uh, some people. And you were telling me you don't actually come across that all that often. Why do you think that is? I I truthfully, I think that because I thought about this. Because like you said, like it, I I don't know, I don't know, I don't know why I I don't ever get people harassing me or telling me that I'm stupid or ugly or you know don't know what I'm doing. I I truly don't experience that, and I'm you know, very grateful that that is the case. Um, so in the past, I have thought about this. And I think that it could be that I cover players 
that most fans don't already know about. Mm. So they truly have no idea if I know what I'm talking about or not. <laughs> so I think I just get the benefit of the doubt that I do know what I'm talking about. But then I also feel it's also in how you approach people. Like I really love debate and discussion. I love the opportunity to see how other people think, um, to see how other people feel, uh, their perspective of different situations. And I, I, I have never come to a, a situation where I'm just adamant that you're wrong. And, and so I think that comes across that when people do engage with me, it is a healthy debate and discussion where I am um, accepting and appreciative of your point of view and your thoughts and opinions. And for that reason, most people are the same towards me and my thoughts and my opinions. Even if we disagree, we can agree to disagree amicably. And it doesn't come out into this like shouting match. And um, so that could have something to do with it as well. Um, you know, it's one of the things like I love going on Reddit and, um, you know, kind of engaging in discussions that are on there um, for that reason. Like, I'm curious, like if somebody wants to tell me that this player is crap, okay, well, why? Why do you think that player is crap? And then maybe I'll point out to you that he's only getting eight minutes a game and he's playing with these players when really he should be this guy. And, and that has a lot to do with like college guys. You know, it's kind of in the same situation. Like Trevor Zegras, just to get back to that article, was put in a fourth line line role because and playing on the wing instead of center because USA was so deep down the center. Mm -hmm. And they were so deep deep in, in terms of offense that it was either be on the team or play be on the team playing fourth line or don't be on the team. And, you know, they wanted to have him on the team. And to his credit, he was able to earn more and more ice time. I mean, I sit there and I look at that game against Germany. He played under 10 minutes, and maybe it might have been 10.04 minutes, like right around 10 minutes. And he had four assists in those 10 minutes. He made the most of those 10 minutes. And so I sit there and they're like, oh, well, his play is not as good as this guy, like point production wise. And I was like, okay, like, well, let's look. You know, this happens so much in the European leagues. And I'm like, okay, here's this young guy who's only getting 10 minutes a game versus a guy who's a year older, has more experience, and is on a team that's not as deep, and he's playing top-line minutes. Mm -hmm. So can you really compare the two? And so when you, you know, engage in debate and discussion that way and you're able to point out different things as to why they might be different, it's just a whole new can of worms in terms of um, – I don't want to say the image you create for yourself, but it is an image you create for yourself because I'm not here saying, well, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, educate me. Tell me about your point of view. And maybe there's a way that we can come to a middle ground. And, um, you know, so I just feel like it's a, it's a, communication is a two way street. And, um, for me, I'm always up for debate and discussion. I, I love to learn new things. I love to um, be aware of other people's perspectives and how they see things because maybe they're right and I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, so I just think that that has something to do with it. So between covering players that they have rarely seen and really can't comment on, like yeah. that's why a lot of things you'll see that I write, people can't comment on it because it's not like they watched the game with me. So um, it's a little bit different. So between that and then being open to having, you know, healthy debate and discussion, I think um, might be the two biggest contributing factors as to why I don't have anybody 
you know, really harassing me in, in any sense. But at the same time, I sit here and I say, like, I've been doing this for 13 years now. So you'd think at some point I would have done something to irritate somebody. <laughs> it, it, but knock on wood, hasn't happened yet. It, it's funny when you talk about, um, you know, where you cover players that a lot of the mainstream media doesn't. With the Pipeline Show, we've been pretty much in the same boat where – you, we know when we have a guest on, a media person who does not cover junior hockey or college hockey, and they're they're making it up as they go. You you can tell right away, um, and that's never been the case with you. I remember when we first uh, talked about Dean and I, uh, my former co-host Dean Millard, we we were looking for somebody to talk college hockey with us because up here there's not a lot of people who can do that, and we came across your stuff on I think it was Hockey Buzz way back then. And we said, yeah. you know what? why don't we give her a shot and we'll see. And, you know, what? we'll know whether she can talk about it or not. And, no, right away, I mean, we knew that we could tell that you knew what you were talking about. And you were making the show, our show, better by having you on. So that's why we keep calling to uh, to get you on again. I wonder, was there ever a point, you know, with coaches or other media where you almost had to prove yourself to them before they would take you seriously? Um, sometimes I feel like I get quizzed. You know, like you'll, you'll meet a new GM, um, or a new scout. It's usually uh, the older people hate mm-hmm. to kind of throw that out there, but sure. it's like more of like the old school vibe where like you're not a former player, you're not a former coach, you're not a former GM or team exec or, or, uh, you know, scout or anything like that. Like, why am I listening to you? Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're like, there's a little quiz. They'll ask you about this player or it seems innocuous, you know, like they're just checking out, you know, your advice or your opinion, but no, you're being quizzed. (laughs) And so there are certain times when I can spot that right away. And I know that I'm being quizzed and I'm being tested, but I also know that I pass those tests with flying colors. And more often than not, when they start asking me questions, I will throw in information about other players and they're like, huh, I didn't know that. Uh. I'm like, yeah, you know, so it, it just kind of drives it home. I will say this though, in terms of players and coaches, coaches are, are usually, um, awesome with me because I don't ask typical questions. So. It's it's not like generic questions, but I ask a question in a certain way or um, bring up information that shows that you don't have to dumb anything down for me. Like, I know exactly what you're saying. Right. You know, you can talk to me like like you would a player or another coach or whoever. Um, so I feel like that instantly gets me some respect. And then in terms of the room, I when I was first starting out, now it's not a problem because most players know me um, or have heard of me in some way. Um, but in the beginning, it was one of those things where I always uh, started with a college guy because they knew me from college, like going to, um, we're talking NHL locker rooms now. Sure. Um, but I would go to a guy that I covered in college because his uh, demeanor and, and the way he would speak to me would be um, kind of a sign to the other guys in the room that she's cool. She's, you know, going to do right by you in terms of, um, you know, not throwing you under the bus or anything like that. So like, I'll never forget. There was one time um, I went to a game in Philadelphia. It was a preseason game and uh, it was against uh, Toronto and uh, Joe Colborn 
was uh, there trying to make the Leafs roster. And um, I was talking to him after the game. And I talked to a couple other guys in the locker room as well, a couple other college guys. And this reporter, I don't even know who it was, came up to me while I was talking to Joe and said, who are you? Like, should I know who you are? <laughs> and I was so taken aback by his rudeness that Joe, I, I didn't even have time to like really think of something to say because Joe walked in, like just, just stepped right up and said, she's one of the best college hockey reporters. And I'm talking to her right now. So if you want to talk to her, you're going to have to wait your turn. Nice. And I was just like, okay, you know, so it, it was one of those things where if people know who you are and they respect your work, like you're going to be treated well by the people who, um, whose opinions and thoughts matter the most to you. I guess another thing in talking about like people being mean to you, and I always say this, if you would not listen to their advice, why are you listening to their criticisms? Ooh, that's good. I like that. You know, so like if you wouldn't take advice from no name, mean person on the Internet, why are you giving any sort of credibility, respect, belief, whatever word you want to put in to their criticisms of you? Yeah, that's really good. Like that doesn't make sense. So, you know, the opinions of the people who matter most to you are the only opinions that matter. And so, and that could be another thing too. Like I don't engage, I, I've never engaged with people who were nasty ever. Um, so maybe it was one of those things where I just like nipped it in the bud very early in my career and now nobody bothers me. I don't know. It's very weird. But, um, but that's how I, I always choose to look at it is that, you know, if I wouldn't listen to your advice, why am I listening to your criticism? Now, how did you come to hockey in, in, in the first place? I know your background. I mean, before you were media, you were, well, you were literally a beauty queen, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's why people aren't tell, telling you that you're ugly or, or you're fat or anything <laughs> because you're obviously not. But I, I mean, going from a beauty pageant winner, uh, what were you, Miss New Jersey, something like that? Yeah, I was Miss New Jersey. To, I competed to, at Miss America. So you go from that world to, you know, a very male dominated, uh, uh, hockey journalist world, uh, and you do that smoothly without any sort of hiccups like that. I mean, I find that remarkable, but how do you, how do you make that transition? What brought you to hockey? Yeah. Well, um, if you listen to the very first episode of Not Your Normal Hockey podcast, I ask my Hello, most popular nice. questions, one of which is how did you get into hockey? Um, and how did you get this job and who am I? So um, I, the long version is there. I can definitely give you the, the short version. Sure. Um, I, gr I grew up a hockey fan. I always say, people say, like, how did you get into hockey? I say that my parents raised me right. Um, they were big hockey fans. They passed it on down to me. Um, I loved when we got cable because I got to watch ESPN and watch NHL Tonight, and I could watch other teams uh, rather than just the uh, the local team uh, here in South Jersey, which is the Flyers. Um, so I, I just, I loved hockey. And when I was in high school, I had a teacher tell us, find something that you love and figure out how to get paid to do it. And I love to watch hockey. So it became my goal to figure out how I could get paid to watch hockey. And um, back then, even being a um, female reporter, was uncommon and um, I was you know I didn't let that stop me I was going to go after it anyway 
I went to school for journalism and sports management at the University of Massachusetts. I worked for the hockey team while I was there. And then um, after I graduated, my mom is the one who um, pretty much begged me. <laughs> She's the one who harassed me uh, to do Miss New Jersey. And I said yes, that I would compete in a local pageant, um, they, mostly so that she would just stop asking me to do it. <laughs> and then I won. And then I went to Miss New Jersey. And the first year, I placed in the top 10. And I said, you know what? If I had more than eight weeks to prepare for this, I feel that I would be really good, um, not only at the pageant perspective, but in the job of Miss New Jersey and um, going around and um, talking to different schools and organizations. Um, my platform was the power of positive thinking. It's something that my dad taught me um, throughout my entire uh, career. Um, he unfortunately passed away in September, but I have been sharing a lot of his life lessons on my Instagram. Um, so if you're interested in um, hearing more about that, you can go to my Instagram and check that out. Um, but I've I've always loved hockey. So when people say, oh, you were a, a beauty queen and then you became a hockey, I was like, no, other way around. Uh. Like doing pageants was just like a little detour. Um, and then when that was over, I, I got back into hockey and um, sharing people's stories because that's what I loved. I mean, even when I was a student, people would say, oh, game stories, game stories. Like, I hope I never write a game story in my life <laughs> because it doesn't interest me. But what does interest me is why this player is, is successful or why this player is struggling and what they're doing to get out of it um, or how they overcame this challenge or, um, you know, what, like I sat there and I always say like, these athletes are role models. They, they are so dedicated and everybody can learn from their dedication and apply it to their own life in their own career path, in their own families, in their own life, you know, whatever that, whatever that is. And so I always loved uh, telling people stories. And I remember telling one of my teachers that I was only going to write teacher stories. And she goes, yeah, good luck with that. And fortunately, I've been able to make a career out of that. And now, especially with, um, you know, more online publications and um, the Internet being more easily accessible. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but when I started this, research. It wasn't used to, like, consume information um, or be a news source in any way. So. Um, you know, just times have totally changed. And then I will say this, another thing that helped me with that transition is I did not immediately do any work on camera. And part of it is because I know what I'm talking about. And at the time, you know, we're talking nearly 20 years ago, the only women that were working in sports was the token yeah. blonde girl in the corner who asked the dumb questions. Right. You know, what do you need, what do you need to do to win in the third period? Like anybody can ask that question. And, um, I never wanted to position myself as that person. I wanted to be part of the conversation, not just lead the discussion. So, um, I made sure that I, that people looked at my work before they looked at me and looked at my face and my blonde hair. And, um, I, 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 I don't want to say I hid behind you know, the, the words that I was writing, but nobody knew what I looked like. They just knew that I was a good writer. They knew that I told good stories. They knew that I had good sources and information. And that's what made it so much fun when I would sit down at like a game 
in Traverse City for the rookie tournament that they have there. And I would just start talking to somebody next to me and then they'd introduce themselves and, and then I'd say, oh, I'm Julie Robenheimer. And they'd go, wait a minute, you're Julie? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know? And then, so it was kind of um, backwards where a lot of people didn't know that I was a beauty queen. Um, there are some people now who kind of like, they love it. They think it's a, I don't want to say they think it's a joke, but they just think it's weird that there's a former Miss New Jersey watching hockey and talking about it for a living. So, um, you know, there was, there was no necessarily, there wasn't necessarily a transition per se, because hockey has always been a part of my life. I have always loved watching any game, anywhere, anytime, no problem. I am there. Um, But I will say that I was very smart in how I positioned myself as a reporter, because I want to be the expert. I want to be able to tell you about these players. I don't just want to be the person who asked the question. Uh, how you're going to come back and win in the third period is one of my go-to questions. So I, uh, I take exception to that. But... <laughs> you got to work on that. You can work on that. Let's be a little more creative yeah. and thoughtful here. Julia, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate all the times you've been on the show because uh, I think uh, when you're on, uh, well, my ratings go up significantly because you're such a great guest. And uh, I, I don't just say this because you're, I'm chatting with you right now, but um, you know, getting going to some of the tournaments and, and getting to spend a little time with you, like at, in Helsinki or when the World Junior was here in Edmonton, those are fun. And getting to meet you and you are a genuine nice person, and that doesn't happen all that often when you get to meet somebody. Uh, it's a pleasure to be around you. And you know, outside of the dancing in the press box, uh, that's uh, that's a little There's weird. There's nothing but... wrong with my dancing in the press box. <laughs> they say no cheering. There's no rules against no dancing. <laughs> Oh, Julie, I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I think you're fantastic. Uh, JulieRomanheimer.com and uh, as well as at EP Rinkside. Anywhere else people get your stuff? Uh, well, I do write a lot of content for the Edmonton Oilers, the Vancouver Canucks. I started this year with the Winnipeg Jets. So there's uh, a lot of different NHL teams that I do provide content for. So if you see anything about a prospect, check the byline. It might be mine. Excellent. Julie, I hope we can do it again soon. All right. You're welcome. Have a great day. Julie Robenheimer from EP Ringside also does a lot uh, covering uh, the NCAA and the NHL. And as she, as she mentioned there at the end, if you uh, see some stories on NHL.com uh, about prospects, it's a good chance she may have been the uh, the writer of it. So uh, give those a read and uh, check out her stuff at EP Ringside as well. If you ever had the chance to uh, meet Julie, you'll know what I'm talking about. She's just a, a genuine, a great person, great personality, always smiling, always upbeat, and uh, really knowledgeable, knows the sport. And I know she has the respect of a lot of players and coaches and uh, GMs and scouts, uh, and she's earned it. Great follow on Twitter as well, so check that out. Coming up next, a first-timer to the Pipeline show. Really interesting story, though. How do you cover the OHL from England? We'll find that out next. Caitlin Berry is my guest. She joins us courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline next here on the Pipeline Show. Johnson stripped by Delandrio. Backhander. He scores! Short-headed goal for the rookie, Ty Delandria. It's 1-0 Flint. Hey, it's Ty Delandria from the Flint Firebirds, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Shattering hockey action continues this Friday at Rogers Place. Your Edmonton Oil Kings face their arch enemies, the Red Deer Rebels at Rogers Place. 
Don't miss your shot to see the WHL's most exciting team live. And cheer Edmonton on as they keep the fight alive for the top spot in their division. Oil Kings, Rebels. Friday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. And we're back on The Pipeline Show, continuing on this week. And we're going to uh, head to the OHL and get an update on what's happening around the Ontario Hockey League. But my guest, nowhere near Ontario. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have her on. Uh, as I'm uh, pleased to be joined by, well, first-time guest for me, Caitlin Berry. Uh, Caitlin, welcome to The Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I've wanted, been wanting to get you on the show for the last few months, actually, and uh, I, I read that on Twitter that you were coming over to Canada and to uh, watch the top prospect games, so I decided to wait until after that was in the uh, rearview mirror for you so that we could talk a little bit about, about that. But maybe let's just start with the OHL and what you do. Uh, when people go to your, uh, your Twitter handle and they see all these OHL videos, uh, why do you do that and uh, how did you get into it? Yeah, um, I basically do it because uh, it, it was a way of making the OA channel uh, accessible to people who maybe don't have the live streams because they're quite expensive yes. or don't live in Ontario, which is um, obviously my kind of thing. So it was a kind of a, a way of making it accessible to other people, trying to connect it to maybe non-Canadians even. Um, and I kind of got into it, 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 it kind of just happened kind of naturally. Um I was over um, in the 2017-18 season in Ontario for about a year because I did a um, university exchange. Okay. Uh, so I basically got to be in Ontario for nine months. I went to a ton of OHL games, so I kind of fell in love with it from there, and I wanted to keep following it. So I went back and I bought the live streams, and I realized that some people who wanted to follow it maybe didn't have enough coverage of it and there wasn't a ton of like local coverage um so i basically just started tweeting about it i started writing about it first but i haven't written about it too much lately um and then the twitter just kind of took off i guess because people seem to be liking the sort of things that i was providing for the ohr and i guess now here we are it's got to here well i'm gonna make myself real sound really old but uh to to do what you do, to cut the clips and all the highlight packs that you put together, and this is while the game is still unfolding, is that hard? It's actually not really that hard. Um, I The way I do it is super simple. I just kind of clip things using a screen recorder, and then it, it automatically saves it, and then I can upload it from there. So that's generally how I can get things out as quickly as I do. And I think like the speed of how I get things out is is one of the reasons why people are following me now. So it's kind of become a thing I'm working on. Um, so yeah, it's actually not really that hard. I think I think I've kind of let out the secret now, and everyone's going to start doing it. But yeah, it's actually not bad. Uh, but you have to live a bit like a vampire. I mean, these games are on in the well, not quite the middle of the night for you, but uh, you got to be staying up till three or four in the morning sometimes doing yeah. this. Most of the games start either at midnight or about 1 a.m., um, and then they finish at like 4 a.m. So <laughs> it's a lot of late nights. I kind of, I, I've kind of become nocturnal, especially on the weekends. Um, I live with my brother, and he he doesn't expect to see me until like 
1 p.m. the next day because I'm just sleeping. So, but yeah, and it's never hard. It, it, it never feels like something I have to stay up for or anything because I love doing it. So, yeah, it's all good. All right. Any particular OHL team that you're, a, 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 you know, a, a particular fan of, or is it just the league in general and you kind of cover everybody equally, or do you have your heart uh, behind one one particular team? Um, yeah. Uh, considering when I did the uh, university exchange, I did it in the University of Waterloo, which is basically attached to Kitchener. Right. So I went to Kitchener a lot, and Kitchener kind of my team. Although I do, um, I. I do love the league as a whole. I love all the teams. Um, and I do try and provide coverage of the most interesting things for all the teams. But I, yeah, I tend to watch as many Kitchener games as I can. So if you love the Rangers, that means you have to hate the London Knights. Did that come naturally for you? Or did you, did you learn that pretty early on? <laughs> yeah, I learned it a little bit early on. Um, but I've never kind of understood it, probably because I came into it so late. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is fun to sort of get involved in all that. But at the end of the day, I honestly don't hate the Knights. I, I quite like them. They're always a pretty good team. They have some players that I really like. So I think I'm kind of bucking the trend there with that, with Rangers fans. Yeah, that's fair. And I suppose Liam Kirk is a player you have uh, some sort of connection with, or at least uh, you, you enjoy following how he's doing. Oh, yeah. Um, it was like, it, I honestly can't explain how exciting it was when he got drafted to the NHL. And then for me, for him to then get drafted into the OHL, just as I started writing about the league, it was just like Christmas for me. I, I got so excited. Um, and it's, it's honestly been amazing watching him. I do watch Peterborough quite a lot, mostly because of him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just really exciting. It's not really something that's happened before with a, a, a British player going over and, and performing to that standard. There have been players in the past that have tried, but Kirk's development over there has been just incredible to watch, and he seems to just be going from strength to strength. So, yeah, I watch him a lot, and it's super exciting to do that. Now, you uh, were telling me it was sort of a uh, a vacation, but a hockey vacation, a hockey holiday to come over and, and watch the top prospect game. What was that experience like for you? I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you got press credentials uh, for that, so you're able, to, you're able to take it in as media, weren't you? Yeah, I did, and it, it was crazy because it was actually the first – hockey event that I've ever had media credentials for. Right. Um, so it was kind of overwhelming at first, just going there and having to sort of acclimatize to this whole thing. And like, there's the media room and there's all these other people. Um, but yeah, it was just an absolutely incredible experience because the, the pros- the top prospects game has been one of my absolute favorite, uh, junior hockey events for the past couple of years. And just to, be there as media and to be watching it from the press box and to be talking to everyone and basically like just talking to my entire Twitter timeline and the other media people who were there was, it was an absolutely incredible experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I did it. Well, now you're officially part of the, uh, the, the junior hockey media community over here for sure. And I know there'll be a lot of people who are uh, following you on Twitter to, to get your insight. Uh, let's talk about the league a little bit and what stood out for you this season. Uh, obviously the Ottawa 78, uh, 67, excuse me, the Ottawa 67's uh, top team in the entire Canadian Hockey League. I, I would have to think they're the team to beat, but who can beat them? Oh yeah. Ottawa have, have just been incredible this season. Um, they they have so much skill. Marco Rossi is a huge part of it. Jack Quinn as well. Um, in terms of who might beat them, everyone is saying that uh, this is Peterborough's year this year. Um, and that's a bit 
there's question marks around that because Peterborough recently went on like a four game losing streak. They haven't quite found some consistency, but their team right now, like, especially that top line of um, Nick Robertson, Akil Thomas and Semyon Durogachinsev, they kind of have all the tools to beat Ottawa. I think they're one of the only uh, of ones of the top teams that actually have beaten Ottawa this year. So yeah, Peterborough, if they find some consistency, they could knock Ottawa off from that top spot. And the Western Conference is so tight. There's not a lot between you know sixth place and and heck even eighth place uh, mm. in the conference right now. Is there a, a, a team that you think eventually emerges and maybe puts some distance between themselves and, and the rest of the group at the top, or do you think it goes right down to the last game of the regular season? I honestly think it it, it could go right down. Um, Obviously, all, all the teams made some moves at the trade deadline, but I don't think there was any moves that stood out as, okay, this is the one team that's going to go for it. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it honestly could be a close battle right to the finish. I, I, I know the top three guys of like London, Saginaw and Kitchener are like constantly leapfrogging each other for the top spot right now. And it honestly just depends how, which one of those teams gets the most consistency as we go down the stretch towards the, the playoffs now. Um, but even in playoffs, I think there could be some upsets. Like there are so many games who could, which could go, there's so many matchups which could go either way. So yeah. Um, yeah. Western Conference is going to be quite interesting to watch as we, as we head into the end of the year. Because it's so close, home ice advantage in the playoffs could be so important in that conference. Do you agree? Oh yeah. I, I think that's what people are going to be fighting for basically if they can't establish themselves as the, as the um as the top in that in that conference, yeah, home ice is going to be huge in some of these battles. Now, Caitlin, what sort of demand is there for what you do uh, where you are over in England, and where are you in England exactly? Not well, asking no, I, for your address or anything like that. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I live in Exeter, which is in the south of England, and there are no hockey rinks around here whatsoever. <laughs> I think the nearest is like two hours away. Um, but yeah, um. There is sort of a demand for this, although like every time I, I post gifts and things of of British events like Team GB, uh, Team GB tournaments, um, when Team GB were in the Worlds in the summer, like I I, I was covering that, mm-hmm. and there it, it seemed to get a good reaction. But ultimately, hockey is still a minority sport in this country. Not many people still know about it. Um, I I still talk to people who don't even know what ice hockey is. Um, and yeah, uh, and I, I think a lot of that stems from, there's not a lot of like national media coverage of it. Right. It's not, it, it, it's not on like the big TV channels, the BBC, which is the main media broadcasting company don't generally show ice hockey or talk about it. And yeah, I think that's kind of hurting it a lot recently. It seems to be getting better. There are channels that are starting to pick it up, but I think right now the most that fans can do in terms of coverage definitely, definitely helps in terms of bringing awareness to the league and awareness to British hockey as a whole. Well, it really sounds to me like this is a passion project for you. It's just you do it because you love it, and if other people pick up on it, great, but you do it for you. Yeah, that's basically been it right from the beginning. I didn't set out um, right when I started tweeting or when I started writing about hockey to get followers or to sort of accumulate um a following or a fan base or whatever. It, I kind of just wanted to get super involved in the game as much as I could. Like, I'm kind of obsessive in that way in that if 
if I like something, I will try and know as much as possible about it. And I guess for me, this was a way of doing that. So I, I, I just love doing it. Even if I lost all of my Twitter following like tomorrow, I would still con- continue going like and, and, and watching the games and clipping the games and tweeting about the OHL because it's generally just fun for me. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Caitlin, at Caitlin Sports is uh, your Twitter handle, and, that, and Caitlin is spelled C-A-I-T-L-I-N Sports, uh, and that's where you can follow her on Twitter. And you're also, you do a podcast as well? I do, yes. Um, me and my friend Mark, who's also uh, a British hockey fan and writer person, um, we co-host a podcast called Hockey from Across the Pond. You can find it on, like, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else, which you usually find podcasts. I'm not entirely sure what other websites there are. But, yeah, that, that's been a lot of fun recently. So, yeah, if people want to check that out, go for it. Now, is there a long-term goal? Do you want to expand outside of just the OHL? Do you want to do, you know, the, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and the WHL? Or do you want to get in with the OHL and maybe do some work for the league? Or where do you see this going for you? <laughs> if I got the chance to work for the OHL, that that would be amazing. That that's probably the main goal. If 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 I was going to sort of pursue something in this, um, I would like to be able to follow the WHL and the QMJHL more. Um, right now, that comes down to time. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in school full time. Like I don't have a ton of free time to watch as much hockey as I possibly can. Also, comes down to money because the live streaming things are quite expensive. Very. Um, yeah, so I would love to. Maybe if I somehow got an extended period of free time or, or when I graduate or something, maybe I'll I'll have the time to get a bit more into those. Yeah, tough to do when it, there's only one of you. It's a, it's a one-man it, operation or one-woman operation, pardon me. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that aspect of it as well. Being a female, do you, do you find yourself having to prove yourself at all uh, to, to what is pretty uh, a male-dominated uh, sport and following? Hmm. I... Don't think I have a lot of that. I think it, if I have any sense of wanting to prove myself, it's just an internal thing. Like it's never been sort of pressured onto me to do that kind of thing. Um, like right from the very start, I had so many people being so supportive of what I was doing. Um, and, um, constantly I, I, I get people like messaging me saying that they like what I do and like talking to me. Um, and trying to help me, I think is one of the main things. And I, I honestly haven't had a lot of abuse for it. And I know that I'm super lucky in that because there are a lot of women in, in sports media who don't get quite a, an, an easy ride in it and sort of get harassed. But yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I've, everyone I've talked to has just mostly been lovely. Like, yeah, I do get a, a, quite a few Twitter DMs that are of a not very nice nature that I have to block, but. Aside from that, everyone's just been lovely and everyone's just been trying to help me in in sort of any way that they can. And that's been a really great factor of why I'm still doing this mostly because the community is awesome and I want to keep providing stuff for that community. Well, that's nice to hear for sure, uh, outside of the few goofballs out there that uh, are uh, send you stuff, uh, Twitter DMs like that. That's unfortunate. Don't like to hear about that. But um, All right, well, when's the uh, the next trip to Canada? When are you coming back? Mm. Uh, when I get enough money, um, I think the idea now is possibly to save up again to go back over for next year's top prospects game, maybe stay for around two weeks. Right. So I can to literally as many games as I possibly can in that two weeks. Um, I'd also like to go out west at some point, but yeah, again, that's a money thing. So literally 
whenever I get enough money, I will be flying over. That's basically how it goes. Well, excellent. Listen, if you ever get the chance to come out west and you uh, happen to be in Edmonton to watch uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, let me know and uh, we'll see you at the rink. Yeah, sure. That'd be fun. Caitlin, I really appreciate your time. It was great to chat with you. I hope you don't mind if I call you again. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Caitlin Berry uh, covering the OHL from uh, her home in England and uh, talk about dedication. I, I got to give her a ton of credit. I know when like the uh, World Junior is in Europe, uh, like it was this past Christmas in, in uh, the Czech Republic, games are at 6 or 7 in the morning. I find it hard to, to get up and, and uh, get engaged, and she's doing it in the middle of the night. Maybe, I mean, I'm a night person too, so maybe it would be easier to watch games at 2 a.m. Uh, than it is at uh, 6 or 7 a.m. Uh, but hey, I tip my cap to her and great job. Uh, follow her on Twitter and uh, check out what she does. It's terrific. I, I just think the the story of her uh, spending the year in Canada and going to the OHL uh, and seeing a lot of Kitchener Ranger games, falling in love with the CHL, taking that back to England, uh, that to me is uh, that's that's really really cool. Good on you, Caitlin. Uh, I'm gonna have her on the show again. Okay, only one more guest segment this week. Uh, there were uh, a couple other invites that I had out, uh, but uh, could not uh, secure those interviews. So we do have one more, though, and it's a good one. A 2020 draft spotlight with a uh, one of the top defensemen uh, ranked for this year's draft. His name is Justin Barron. He's been sidelined for a, a number of uh, months now because of a blood clot. What's the update? We'll let him tell you next here on the Pipeline Show. And up comes Trenkovich. He's got speed. Trenkovich breakaway to the backhand. Scores! Max Trenkovich is second of the season, and it's 2-1. I'm Maxim Trenkovich of the St. John Sea Dogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh yeah, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Back on the Pipeline Show, final segment this week uh, on this week's episode is a 2020 draft spotlight. It's also with a CHL player. That means it's a CHL insider segment, and uh, those are always brought to you by the store next door in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, collecting as many broken hockey sticks as they can and uh, turning that junk into some uh, absolute uh, treasures. Check out their website, thestorenextdoor.ca, employing people with disabilities, a great cause to get behind, and uh, check out their catalog. They have some really cool stuff that would interest any sports fan for sure. My guest is Justin Barron, defenseman with the Halifax Mooseheads, uh, considered by uh, most to be a uh, first-round pick uh, for this coming draft. Uh, Justin, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, tell me about this season for the team so far. Uh, a year after hosting the Memorial Cup, uh, the expected uh, downside to that is, well, what's what we've seen kind of unfold, and the, the team has uh, made a lot of moves here in the last little while, and 
uh, where you are in the standings. Has this been a difficult year for the team? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little bit different than the years past. I think uh, last year we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of, we had a lot older team, um, and then coming in this year, a lot of those guys graduated, so we had a much younger group. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a pretty good season so far. We got a long, a lot of younger guys, so um, yeah, I've been kind of taking a little bit of a bigger leadership role, which uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been good for me. Um, and yeah, we've seen we've seen big steps out of our group throughout the year. Um, obviously we're not where we want to be in the standings, but that's all right when, when you have a group so young. So yeah, if the playoffs started today, uh, you, the Mooseheads wouldn't be in the playoffs, uh, sitting 17th right now, but a couple games in hand on the teams that you're chasing. So, uh, there's that uh, still to look forward to. Now, uh, let's address the elephant in the room. You've been on, on the shelf for the last little while. Uh, where are you at? Uh, and maybe for the folks who don't know the situation, maybe can you bring uh, everybody up to speed on what's happened for you this year? Yeah, sure. So uh, December 1st, I was diagnosed with a blood clot um, in my shoulder. So obviously that was pretty disappointing. Um, just finding out that news um, and knowing I was going to have to sit out for a while. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to be back here close to the end of the month um, or early March. Um, yeah, it, it's been kind of a tough stretch. Obviously at the start, it, it, uh, it kind of affects you a little bit mentally and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we have, we have a great staff in Halifax. I have a great strength coach and a uh, great team doctor, great athletic therapist. They've really been able to help me through it here. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty much back to, back to working out full body. Um, I've been skating, which I have to skate by myself, unfortunately, just because of the blood thinners that I'm on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's gone by pretty quick, a lot quicker than I thought it would be. And yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back in the lineup as soon as possible. You mentioned blood thinners, and I was going to ask you what the treatment is. How do you how do you go about taking care of a blood clot? Uh, is that all it is, is? Is blood thinners? Yeah, yeah. So for me, yeah, it was just blood thinners. So it's it's not too hard. It's just a little pill. So okay. Now with the team having, uh, we talked about where the the club is in the standings right now, and you not being able to help them out on the ice. That's got to be that's got to be a pretty frustrating situation. I mean, you're obviously a key guy on the team, and not being able to kind of uh, right the ship here. That's got to be a challenge mentally. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, yeah, just having to sit in the press box and kind of watch your team play. Um, yeah, even, even through the ups and the downs, you want to be out there to help the team uh, in any way possible. Um, yeah, I, I've been around the team as much as possible, um, trying to keep a good, positive attitude and, and helping them through that with all the young guys and stuff. So, yeah, like I said before, we've taken a lot of big steps, and this should be a really good test kind of coming up for our group to see if we can put together some wins and hopefully get into the playoffs. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you when you get back on the ice. So uh, this is the Pipeline Show, my 2020 draft spotlight segment. My guest is Justin Barron from the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, Justin, for the benefit of my audience who is across North America, not everybody that's listening to this is necessarily going to be a, a junior hockey fan, let alone a, a, you know a, a, somebody that's watching the Halifax Mooseheads. But uh, they need to know who you are for the draft uh, coming up this year. So let's ask some basic questions. Uh, first off, where are you from? Yeah, I was born here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing? Yeah, I was about uh, three or four years old. My dad always built a rink in the backyard for me and my brother, so that's kind of where me and my brother learned how to skate, and we kind of grew up playing on that. Now, your brother is Morgan Barron. He's off at college uh, playing for Cornell and and is a a standout for the Big Red there. Uh, He's your older brother, so uh, I'm a younger brother as well, and I know when I was a kid I always wanted to do whatever the older brother was doing. Was it similar for you? And you saw him playing hockey. You wanted to follow in his footsteps a bit. 
Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, um, my whole life, he's, he's been a big inspiration for me. Um, he's been a great older brother to kind of look up to and yeah, seeing him out in the back, uh, on the backyard rink, I think it definitely encouraged me to kind of go out and play with him and kind of brought that, uh, friendly competition along with it. So it was a lot of fun. Interesting. He's a forward. You're a defenseman. Have you always been a defenseman? Yeah, I have. Uh, I, when I started really young, I think I started off forward for maybe a year or two. Um, and back then my dad used to coach me and our team was running low on D, I think in novice or Adam. Um, and I was always a pretty good skater growing up. So he kind of put me back on D. Um, and yeah, I kind of fell in love with it there and, uh, never looked back. Interesting. Uh, did you ever have a time when you at novice or something where every player seems like they got to throw the pads on and take their turn in net? Um, did you have uh, an experience like that when you were very young? Um, no, I wasn't much of a much. I wasn't very interested in being a goalie. I don't think. Um, yeah, I know one time in Adam, our goalie was actually away for a weekend. <laughs> um, so me and another kid had to strap the pads on and play a game in nets and it didn't go too well for us, but yeah, it was a fun experience and, uh, yeah, it's a good memory. Ended your goalie career pretty early on, did it? Uh, well, for you, uh, drafted in the first round by the Mooseheads, uh, back in 2017, 13th overall pick to be chosen by your hometown team. Was that, was that special? I mean, did you kind of know going into it that that was the club you, you, you thought you might end up with or how'd you feel about drafting? Yeah, it was super special. Going into the draft, you never really know what's going to happen. Um, I'd spoke with the Mooseheads quite a bit before that. So I knew they were kind of interested in me. Um, and yeah, when they picked me, I think it was, it was a really exciting moment for me and my family, especially being a kid growing up here in Halifax and kind of get to see all the Moosehead teams that, um, have gone through, um, yeah, and seeing a team like that 2013 Memorial Cup winning team. And yeah, like I said, I'm at Jersey and now play in front of friends and uh, family in my hometown. It's, it's pretty surreal. Now, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Mooseheads owned Morgan's rights too. So if that's true, did you work pretty hard on recruiting him to come help you guys? <laughs> um, I've mentioned it a few times. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure who has his rights right now, to be honest. I know St. John had them at one point, but yeah, no, he was uh, he was pretty happy with the route he took. Was it ever a thought for you to uh, pursue the NCAA as well, whether it was Cornell or not? But did or were you always a CHL guy? Yeah, I think uh, with my brother going the NCAA route, I was kind of exposed to it at an earlier age, um, so I was kind of able to see both routes. Um, and yeah, I, I think I don't think the route is a bad route. I think depending on the player. Um, each one can benefit them. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I think being able to kind of live at home, um, play for the Mooseheads who have such a great organization, such a good coaching staff and a good reputation. I think that was the best fit, best fit for me personally. Yeah. Put a lot of guys into the NHL and they've gone on and had success. So pretty good track record there for the Mooseheads. Uh, now for the benefit of people who haven't had a chance to watch you play and I have uh, been able to firsthand when you were out here for the Hillenka Gretzky Cup a couple of summers ago. Uh, but what, how do you describe yourself as a as a player? Uh, give us a bit of a self scouting report, if you don't mind. Yeah, I would say uh, I'm a two way defenseman. Um, I like to jump up in the play and, and help create some offense. Um, yeah, I think I'm a smooth skater that makes a good first pass. Um, yeah, kind of a guy that plays that can play in any situation. 41 points last year in Halifax, 13 more in the playoffs that last season. How valuable would you think that was that experience of getting to host the Memorial Cup and go through a, a, a playoff drive like that? Yeah, that was, uh, that was by far, I think, one of my 
one of my best seasons and most fun seasons. Um, we had such a good team, such a good core group of guys. Um, it was a lot of fun and kind of getting to go play through that long season and kind of really seeing what it takes to, to go to the President's Cup Finals and be in the Memorial Cup. Um, yeah, it kind of helped me see how the team has to grow um, and really come together and have, have success. So I think last year for sure I grew a lot as, as a player. Um, yeah, and it, it was great experience for me. Now, how much is the draft on your mind, Justin? Do you spend much uh, much time thinking about it? And the reason I ask is I ask that question of all the players I get on, and uh, half of them will say, or probably more than half, will say they try not to think about it. But there are guys who who say, no, I want to look to see where I'm ranked, and they kind of use that as a, a motivator to some degree. What about you? Do you try not to think about it and, and don't look at the rankings, or do you sort of embrace that experience? Yeah, I think for me, I, I try not to think about it too much. Um I mean, obviously, you're going to think about it from time to time. It's You'll see stuff a lot on social media and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, when it, it kind of comes down to just how you play. And for me, I think it's just trying to have fun with it. Um, all the guys I've talked to, it's a fun experience. And, um, yeah, so I'm just kind of trying to, been taking, trying to uh, take it all in um, and enjoy the experience. Now, when you, it's such a big, important year. It's your draft year, and you've been on the shelf now for a couple of months, and you missed the top prospect game because of the blood clot and all of that. Any concerns about the draft and, you know, out of sight, out of mind? Do you worry about, you know, what this could mean for you on draft day? Or, I mean, there's there's probably very little concern about getting drafted, but where you go in the draft, is that something that you think about? Um, yeah, it's one of those things that I think crossed my mind. Um, but, yeah, when I kind of think more about it, um, I think people have been able to see me play the last two years. Um, and with me having a late birthday, I think that kind of benefited me having an extra year in the league. Um, so yeah, I think the people that have seen me play, they know, they know my style of play, um, and what I can do on the ice. And yeah, hopefully I can get a couple more games here at the end of the year and kind of show, show them how I can play. Now, no NHL team on the uh, far East coast. Uh, so was there a special team that you had uh, growing up? I, I, I'm guessing, uh, a lot of Pittsburgh or Colorado fans around there now. Yeah, there is a lot of Pittsburgh and Colorado. Um, yeah, me and my, my brother and my dad, we were always Leaf fans. Um, yeah, I think being on the East Coast, the, they had the earliest games for us to be able to watch, especially as a kid. Um, but yeah, they were always a fun team to watch. Um, and that was kind of the team I grew up rooting for. Excellent. Well, Justin, listen, I really appreciate your time. And uh, the listeners don't know, but you're really flexible with setting this up. And I, I really appreciate that. I uh, certainly wish you the, a speedy recovery and uh, continued success here and get the uh, Mooseheads into the playoffs and whatever happens in the draft. hope we can chat again. Yeah, thanks a lot, Thanks for having me. Justin Barron of the Halifax Mooseheads. Great to hear that uh, he is nearing a return. Don't know exactly uh, which date or which game that will be, but uh, you know, as long as he can get back and play and uh, maybe you know if the – Mooseheads don't get their way back into the playoffs. Uh, maybe the World U18, although I'd have to check. He, I think he's uh, a late birthday, so he might be too old for the U18s. Yeah, he played in the Helenka Gretzky Cup, obviously, a couple of summers ago. Last year, he would have been in the U18s, but uh, the Mooseheads were still busy playing. Uh, so uh, that's tough for him in his draft year, not getting to play in uh, some of those showcase events. But a really good player. Little concern for him, as I mentioned, out of sight, out of mind, having not played. But NHL scouts, no, they've been watching him for a long time. They know what he can do. And at 6'2", 190 pounds, a good skater and a good puck mover, who had 41 points last year, I think his resume 
is what's going to help him the most. And maybe when you get to the combine, you get to sit down and do the interview process. Obviously a very good uh, speaker, well-spoken. I think he'll do just fine. It's, I, and again, like I told him, I don't think it's a question of if he's going to get drafted. Uh, it's just uh, where, how early, which team. Uh, and I'm curious uh, to hear the answers or to find out the answers to those questions that come draft day. That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to my guests who joined me courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline. And that brings me up to the time where I would normally crack open a, a Troubled Monk uh, beverage. Uh, and I was saving the uh, Bucktooth Belgian White uh, for uh, for the end of this episode. I was going to crack it open right now. But uh, my son just came to me and said I got to drive him uh, to a buddy's house. Uh, so I'm obviously not going to drink and drive. I got the Oil Kings and the Rebels game tonight. Going to be doing color uh, with Cam Moon or for Cam Moon, rather, uh, on the Rebels broadcast. So uh, I'm not going to be drinking right now. Mooner and I will be enjoying a Troubled Monk beverage during the post-game show. You can hear those uh, games uh, for the Rebels, 106.7 The Drive out of Red Deer. Uh, so I will not be enjoying a Troubled Monk beverage right now, but I will be after the game. Uh, also, there wasn't an in-the-dub segment this week, as uh, my intended WHL guest for the last two weeks, actually. Haven't been able to set that one up, even though the player is injured. Uh, not making a whole lot of progress with the uh, the team that he plays for. If I had had an in-the-dub segment, it would have been brought to you by dubnetwork.ca, where you can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League. Make it a bookmark uh, for you, and subscribe to get your daily dose of the dub every day. Next week on the show, more ladies covering junior or college hockey and um, another player or two that's eligible for the NHL draft and everything else that you've come to like and expect uh, on the Pipeline Show. Uh, thanks to everyone who has signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. You can hear all the episodes or all the interviews, rather, of every episode two or three days before the actual episode comes out. You can do that at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. Until next week, everybody, get out and watch some junior and college hockey so that we can talk about it right here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, I'm Guy Flaming. See ya.